Amen. Please open with me in God's Word to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis 21. Here we continue in our series of Father Abraham, looking at the life of Abraham here in the book of Genesis. And we'll be finishing this chapter this morning by considering verses 22 to 34. While you're turning there, I know that most, if not all of us this morning, recognize that the Christian life is one of waiting, isn't it? So often what it means to be a Christian is to wait. We wait for God to answer our prayers. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait. We wait for God to help us in our times of troubles and trials as we suffer. And we wait. And we wait. And we wait. Most of all, we wait for God to restore and renew this world free from all corruption and death. And we wait. And we wait. And we wait. Well, here's the question then I know we all wrestle with. How should we live while we wait? And this morning Abraham shows us what it means to wait in faith in this world. That's what we find here this morning in Genesis chapter 21. So let us then read here these verses of Scripture from God's Word this morning. Genesis 21, beginning with verse 22. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had ceased. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, you will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore an oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Phicol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Our brothers and sisters, let us pray once more. 
Father, so often we wait. And as we wait, we struggle. May we then hear from your word of how we are to live as we wait in faith this morning so that we will be those like Abraham who continue to trust in you and in your glorious promises that you have given to those who have been saved by the blood of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, may these words come among us with the power of your Holy Spirit. They will not simply be the words of a preacher standing before us, but the very words that will resonate in our souls and lead us to rejoice in Christ and in all we have to look forward to in Christ. Father, help me this morning to bring your word to your people. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How should we live while we wait? Brothers and sisters, what this passage is showing us is while waiting to receive our inheritance, live wisely in this world as a pilgrim. Let me say that again. While waiting to receive our inheritance, live wisely in this world as a pilgrim. That's what we find here in Abraham's encounter with Abimelech. How did Abraham live wisely as a pilgrim? We see this in two ways. First, through a conflict avoided, and second, through a covenant arranged. So we have a conflict avoided and a covenant arranged. We begin then by considering in verses 22 to 26 a conflict avoided. And of course, here in the, the, the history of the world, we have God who has created the world and everything in it, and humans to then serve under God as his representative in this world, and yet falling into sin by rebelling against God. Which brings corruption into this world, sin into our lives, and death as a judgment against us where we will be judged for our sin in an eternity of condemnation for our sins. Yet God also gives us hope when He promises to humanity salvation from His judgment, which is why even as humanity continues sliding down even further into the wickedness and depravity in this world, that God chooses a man, Abraham, to separate from the nations in order to then bless the nations 
And when God calls Abraham, he enters into covenant with Abraham, guaranteeing Abraham that he will have descendants through a son. And that a promised land will be given for his descendants to then inherit as their own. And it's through these promises that this great blessing will come to the nations. Which is why Abraham leaves his home country and his land and his people and his family and he has come to dwell and live in the promised land of Canaan. And even though his wife had been barren and past the age of childbearing year after year, decade after decade, God supernaturally visited them so that she would have a son. And their promised son was a miracle who was born to them. After all of the years in their old age, their son Isaac. But if we want to have a clear understanding of what's taking place here in these verses, brothers and sisters, we need to pay close attention to how this history is structured. We don't just read a passage of Scripture taken out of the larger story of what is happening in Genesis. But we recognize that as this history is being recorded, there is a purpose in what is being written down and how it is being written down. So to understand here all that's going on, we go back to Genesis chapter 20. What happened in Genesis chapter 20? Well, Abraham and Sarah have been dwelling in the land, but as they travel south, they eventually enter into the city of Gerar to stay there. But there's a problem. Abraham, as he enters this region, fears for his life because he knows that those who live there may try to take advantage of him in order to get, gain his wife as their own. Which is why when they meet the king Abimelech, they seek to deceive him. Abraham compromises his faith out of fear by then deceiving the king in saying that Sarah is his sister, not his wife. But even here, when Abraham's faith was compromised, we find God protecting Abraham and Sarah so that his promise of a child would not be threatened. And Abimelech, after being confronted by God, restores Abraham's wife and gives him many gifts and the freedom to continue dwelling in the land. Which is then that we come to chapter 21 and what happens at the beginning of chapter 21. But after all of these years of waiting, God visits Sarah and she bears Abraham, the promised son, Isaac. And it's now that this promised son has been born. We come to our passage and what happens here? We return to Abimelech and Abraham. So do you see what we really have here is a sandwich. 
in chapter 20, you have the, the top of the sandwich with Abimelech and Abraham. Then as we turn to chapter 21, you have the, the center of the sandwich, the meat of the sandwich, when the promised son Isaac is born. But now we come to the bottom of the sandwich, the last of the sandwich, as we return to Abraham and Abimelech. The question is then, why is the birth of Isaac sandwiched in the middle of this whole situation between Abraham and Abimelech? And it's to remind us that while God kept his promise of a son to Abraham, that Abraham is still dwelling in a land that's not his own. Yes, God has kept his promise to Abraham. They now have a son, but they are continuing to dwell in a land that is not theirs. They continue to be pilgrims in this land as they wait for all of God's promises to be fulfilled. See, God's promises to Abraham still remain to be fulfilled, and Abraham must continue dwelling in tents here, waiting for God to complete all that he has said. So Abraham is living as a pilgrim in this land as he waits to receive the fullness of all God has promised to him. And so as these verses begin, we find that there's a tension that remains here between Abraham and Abimelech. This is why Abimelech then comes out to meet with Abraham, and we read them both sharing their concerns with one another through this conversation, through this interaction, through this confrontation. And so first we hear of Abimelech's concern. And his concern is with how powerful Abraham has become. With all of his prosperity, with all of his possessions, which means that his kingdom could be threatened and endangered. Maybe he had heard after the birth of the promised son Isaac that this means that this land is also one that is given as an inheritance to Abraham's descendants. After all, he asks for this deal to be made not only with him, but with his offspring and his posterity. So he recognizes that now that God is keeping his promises, that that could, in, that could indeed provide bad news to him and his people as they dwell in the land. So he comes out to Abraham, and notice who he comes with. He doesn't come alone, but he comes with the commander of his army, Philkel. So he brings out essentially his muscle to show his superiority as a king in the land. I imagine here Philcol as kind of a ripped security guard who's seeking to intimidate Abraham with his arms crossed and with the sunshades on.
But do you hear that as Abimelech speaks, he recognizes how Abraham has become so great? It's because he knows that God has been with Abraham and that God continues to bless Abraham as he lives in the land. That's why Abimelech fears Abraham's growing power. And so he wants Abraham to make an oath with them and their coming generations that he will not take advantage of them, but that he will be fair to them and kind to them, as Abimelech has already been kind to him. Which is why Abraham agrees. But he also has a complaint that needs to be resolved. So we move from Abimelech's complaint to Abraham's complaint. There is a problem that remains among them. Remember, this is a very barren land. And so water was essential for Abraham and his household to survive there. Which is why Abraham had a well dug for his family and for the animals to live. And yet Abimelech's servants were no longer allowing them to use this well. They were claiming it wasn't his well since Abimelech, after all, owned the land. And so Abraham confronts the king over his servants' actions. Their situation was quickly becoming desperate. And they had been wronged, which is why he seeks to rebuke Abimelech in what has happened. Well, when Abimelech is confronted with this charge, how does he respond? He confesses his ignorance with three strong denials. He essentially says, I have no idea until now what has taken place. Now, whether Abimelech really didn't know, or whether, as some suspect, he's simply pretending he doesn't know. We're really not told. But Abraham recognizes it doesn't really matter. What's done is done. But what matters is that they have access to the well. You see, Abraham's priority while living as a pilgrim in this land is living at peace with Abimelech while he remains a stranger there. And so he accepts Abimelech's reason, which reminds me then of the words from Jesus himself as he preached on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 9, the Beatitudes, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Or as we read in uh, by the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, verses 17 and 18. He says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. We are to live peaceably with all men as much as it depends on us. So is this how you are living in the world? As a peacemaker. 
you know, as I reflect on how the world so often sees us, I'm afraid it all too often views Christians as troublemakers more than peacemakers. We hold grudges rather than build bridges. But to live wisely in this world as pilgrims means we are to be a peaceable people. As we see Abraham making peace with Abimelech. And this also then becomes a call for us to pray, brothers and sisters. Again, we can listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. He writes in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. Therefore, I exalt first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Why? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Abraham came to understand these things. Which is why he sought to live at peace with kings and all in authority, to lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And this is how Abraham sought to live while waiting to receive his promised inheritance from God. Which is a good reminder to all of us as well of how we are to live Avoiding conflicts as much as we are able, but making peace. So we have seen a conflict avoided. But then second, we come to verses 27 and 34, where we next find the second way Abraham lives wisely in this world through a covenant arranged. A covenant arranged. See, because Abraham was satisfied with Abimelech's response, he then takes some animals and gives them to Abimelech for them to make a covenant with each other, an agreement, a commitment, a treaty that would continue among their peoples. Now, we've already heard of covenants that God has made with mankind in Genesis but here is a covenant made between men to establish an ongoing relationship and commitment between them. But notice as in Genesis 20, Abimelech restored Abraham's wife through the giving of sheep, oxen, and male and female servants. Now here in Genesis 21, Abraham gives sheep and oxen to Abimelech to restore his rights to the well. And from the animals that Abraham was giving Abimelech, he separates seven young lambs from the rest so that their agreement will be confirmed. Now, as these animals are given, Abimelech wonders why Abraham has done this. And so Abraham explains that these seven will serve as a witness that he is the one who dug the well, and it is legally his to use. It's by Abimelech's accepting of these seven witnesses then, that Abimelech recognizes this is 
Abraham's well of water to use. And so the place is named Beersheba, which means well of the oath or well of the seven. And the reason I say that is we don't really know for sure. Throughout these verses, there's actually been a play on words. You see, the word swear and the word seven both come from the same Hebrew word, root. And they occur nine times together in these verses. Also, the names of both parties of the covenant are mentioned seven times each. Abimelech is mentioned seven times and Abraham is mentioned seven times. So it is through this offering of the seven that this covenant is established between them under the swearing of an oath. And why that play on words may be very significant here in the name Beersheba. See, the place where they arrange this covenant is named after their covenant, after their treaty, after their oath including the giving of the seven and the witness of the seven lambs. And once this covenant is completed, after Abimelech accepts these seven young lambs, what does Abimelech do? Well, both he, together with his commander, Philcol, return home to the land of the Philistines. Now, this has caused many scholars to struggle. This is often considered a problem because the Philistines had not yet migrated to the land of Canaan. <laughs> so why would we have here Abimelech going to the land of the Philistines when the Philistines didn't even live there? Well, it's a good question. Like so many questions, they are answered when you give it a little thought. Don't forget, Moses is the one who is recording this history for Abraham's descendants, Israel, as they are about to enter the promised land. And who will they encounter in the promised land? But the Philistines. So it's not surprising he uses the word Philistines here to speak of those who are living in the land that they are about to enter into in fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. But what do we see once this covenant is complete between them? Abimelech returns to his home country, but Abraham remains there in the land because his home is with the Lord. So rather than the comforts of the city, he remains there in the land, depending upon and looking to the Lord, which is why he then plants a tamarisk tree there as a landmark of where he is dwelling. And this is especially significant. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, and look again, when God originally called Abraham out of the land as his own, as he first enters the promised land, 
where his pilgrimage in this land begins. Listen to these words, Genesis 12, verses 6 to 9. Now back at this point, of course, Abraham was called Abram. But we read there of him, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. And what do we see here? Now that Abraham has reached the southern point of the land in Beersheba, he plants another terebinth tree there as a testimony of God's grace and faithfulness. And he not only plants a tree, but he once again worships God there as he did when he first entered the promised land. And notice that great verse 33 that Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there called on the name of the Lord. Again, in our English translations, pay close attention to the word Lord because it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is our way of showing this is the covenant name of God, Yahweh. He calls on the covenant name of God, the personal name he knows because God has entered into covenant with Abraham. So here he distinguishes himself in his worship from the false gods of the peoples around him by worshiping the Lord of the covenant. But not only do we see him calling on the name of the Lord, we see him referred to as the everlasting God. See, unlike the false gods of the peoples, this one true and living God is the creator and sustainer of all things, including time itself. Which is why he's everlasting. He is eternal. And I know this is in many ways impossible for our minds to grasp. But may it lead us to be in awe of how great our God is. Listen to Louis Burkhoff as he seeks to summarize what it means for God to be eternal or everlasting. He writes, we generally think of God's eternity as duration infinitely prolonged both backwards and forwards, right? So we think of eternity, we think when we go back in time, as far as we go back, God is there, or as far forward as we go in time, that's how far forward God is there. He goes on to say, but this is only a popular and symbolical way of representing that which in reality transcends time and differs from it essentially. Our existence is marked off by days and weeks and months and years. Not so the existence of God. Our life is divided into a past, present, and future, but there is no such division in the life of God. 
He is the eternal I am. His eternity may be defined as that perfection of God, whereby he is elevated above all temporal limits and all succession of moments and possesses the whole of his existence in one indivisible presence. And this is the God who loves us so much that he doesn't leave us to live under his judgment of condemnation for our sin, but gives us this promise of salvation that will come through Abraham and his descendants as they live in this land. What a God we worship. And while Abraham continues living in the land as a pilgrim, how does he maintain his faith? His faith is maintained by worshiping the everlasting God. See, now that he is in covenant with Abimelech, He's able to stay there in the land for many days. But as this chapter ends, do you recognize the change that has taken place in Abraham's life? Do you remember how he entered the land back in chapter 20? As a coward. He was a coward living in fear. And now as we come to the end of Genesis 21, how is Abraham living? with confidence in worshiping the Lord, the everlasting God. What explains this change? It's the center of the sandwich. That God has provided him with his promised son which then fuels his faith in God to trust in him as he waits to receive his inheritance. So now that God or Abraham had received his long-promised son Isaac, he continues to wait for God's promise of salvation to come through his son. And now that Abraham has received rights to a well in the land, he continues to wait for God's promise of an inheritance to dwell in his presence forever. Do you see then how Abraham lives by faith as he trusts in God's promises and lives wisely in a sinful world that is not his home? This, after all, is how Jesus says we are all to live. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We're to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Abraham recognized this which is why he is willing to cooperate with a pagan king in order to live wisely in this world. 
So he doesn't shun this pagan king. He doesn't separate himself from this pagan king. But he works with this pagan king in this world. And the same must be true for us, brothers and sisters. We must not shun those who are not Christians or separate from those who are not Christians, but work with them as we live wisely in this world. And yet there is another sense in which we must also recognize Abraham does live differently than the pagans around him, doesn't he? Because he worships his God without any compromise or any capitulation to the peoples that surround him. And so must we. This is how we are to live as a distinct people living wisely in this world who are known by our worship, our uncompromising worship in our covenant Lord, the everlasting God. See, this is life that dwells with God in security rather than life that lives at home in this world while living in fear and uncertainty. And this is how we are to live in this world. Abraham was a man who recognized and came to understand that he was to live before God with honesty and integrity while living in the land. And so must we. So again, we need to ask ourselves, are you known as a man or a woman of your word? Jesus himself again says to us in Matthew 5:37, the Sermon on the Mount, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So may we live as Abraham lived, as a pilgrim in this world, as those who are trustworthy in our relationships, as those who keep our contracts with others, and as those who wait on God to receive what he has promised in this world. Do you see then, while waiting to receive our inheritance, live wisely in this world as pilgrims? That while we are waiting to receive our inheritance, we must live wisely in this world as pilgrims. And we live wisely both as peacemakers as well as oath keepers. As those who seek to make peace and those who will keep our word with others. Why then do we live in this way? Because God promises us something far greater than life in this world. 
He promises us salvation from His wrath to enjoy eternal life in His presence. Which is why His promise of salvation is ultimately revealed through the coming of His only begotten Son. The one whom Abraham was waiting for and looking forward to all those centuries ago. Jesus Christ. When God Himself came into this world to take our place and lived the life of righteousness, we refused to live in our sin. And then took upon Himself the very curse of our sin as He hung and died on a cross for us. He was judged so that we would not be judged. He experienced death so that we would have eternal life. Christ is the one who provides us with the salvation that was promised when humanity fell away from God in sin. And now that we are saved by the blood of Christ, brothers and sisters, we too wait for the fullness of our inheritance in Christ to come when He returns. This then is our hope. It is in God's eternal presence that is our home, which is why we are to live in this world as pilgrims, waiting to receive our inheritance while we live wisely. So if you do not have this hope, if this world continues to be your home, then this morning I plead with you to look to Christ. To look to Christ which provides far more than anything you could hope for in this world. Far more than anything this world offers. Far more than any pleasures you may temporarily gain through your sin. Look to Christ and His death on the cross in love and be saved. Turn away from your sins in repentance and turn to Christ who will embrace you with arms of love and faith. And find in Christ a far better and far greater home than your home in this world. We are to live as pilgrims by faith in Christ while we wait to receive the fullness of our inheritance with life in His presence. 
But brothers and sisters, until that day comes, when all will be made right and when all corruption will be forever removed, let us live wisely in this world as pilgrims. May we be a people who are not at home in this world, but who live wisely as we wait for God to bring our home to us. And what does that mean for us as God's people? That we are those who, like Abraham, worship God, the everlasting God. Because as we worship God, we actually bring a small piece of this world to come into the present world by praising our everlasting God who saves us through Jesus Christ. We experience as Christ's body, the church, the very future we have to look forward to as we worship God. May we then be a people eager to worship God because of all that we have received and all that we will receive through Christ. Please, let us live wisely in this world as pilgrims as we wait to receive our inheritance. Let us pray. Father, this may be a convicting message to many of how often we fail in our faith. That we are not peacemakers, but troublemakers. That we are not oath keepers, those who lie and go back on our word. That we are those who are far too comfortable in this world. Rather than being comforted as we wait for the world to come. Oh, Father, help us to repent. May we have a godly sorrow that leads us to repentance so that we will live wisely as pilgrims in this world as we wait for the inheritance we will receive when Christ returns. May this be true for each and every one of us in each and every day of our lives. And as we do so, Father, may we also recognize 
that this is why you have given us the church to come together and worship you in the confidence that you are our covenant-keeping Lord, the everlasting God. And may we humble ourselves to bow before you in awe of you and in gratitude for your salvation in Jesus Christ. So Father, we pray that you will help us and strengthen us to live through your Spirit wisely in this world as your pilgrims. We ask these things in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.